Job 14.1. Don't turn there. We're turning to Luke 8. The Bible says in Job 14.1, Man is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's not a verse people read and everybody say amens to. It's not one of those that are like, yeah, go get him. Preach on that one, Pastor. But, but it's truth. That, that, that is the truth. I, I, I'll give you an example. This morning, one of the, I had a live testimony. I was so pumped up. And Jason uh, Paulson was, you guys know Jason's story. And Jason's been going through so much. And he's been going through his chemo treatments and everything. And he just said, you know, I can't make it. And I said, Jason, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You, you, you take care of yourself. I got another phone call this morning. It was Gene Maynard saying, I just called the ambulance for the, a, a squad to, to pick up Dennis. Something's wrong with his blood pressure and he can't make it. I was walking down the aisle and they pulled me off and said, do you know Nichelle Bivens is not here this morning? She's in the hospital possibly having surgery on her gallbladder. Walking in, giving the announcement that, that they've given Elsie Thompson 24 to 48 hours to live because her body is shut down and they, can, they can't even figure out what's going on. He said, man, this is depressing. I'm, t- I'm telling you guys, you're here today because you need to know that in life there is trouble, but in life you are not alone. And if you're trying to look for that spiritual bubble to get you out of trouble, you're never going to find it. If you want to stick your head in the sand and pretend like life is all peachy and nobody has issues, you are lying to yourself. The Bible just explains it like this. The Bible says that we're cursed. I know that's something you'd read in a Disney book, but I'm telling you, we are cursed from the very beginning. Sin came into the world and there came a curse upon it. And that curse is called sin. And sin brought forth thorns and thorns brought forth the symbol that there is pain in this world. And there is. I want to take you to a crowd of people. Because the same illustration that we did with the testimonies. In Luke chapter 8, and we're all study there today, and we'll mainly stay in this passage. There is this crowd of people that gathered, and these people all came to see Jesus. Now, to be honest, it's probably like any other crowd. Some came just because they were hoping he'd pass out bread and fish like he did before. Some were gathered there together because they wanted something like maybe God can multiply my money and, and make me rich or whatever it is. But they knew that this guy had power. They knew that he was different. They knew that he was real. And they wanted in on it. The Bible says there was a great crowd of people. And the Bible gives us in this story a glimpse of two people. And I believe they all had hurts. But in this passage, God pulls two of them out. You might have come here today. You might have walked through the door with a smile on your face. Grabbed your Bible, have it under your arm. Stood and sang the songs. Raise your hand as you said, God is good. By the inside that nobody even knows about, you're crushed, you're broken, and, and you're just saying, man, nobody has a clue what I'm dealing with. We're good at putting on an act. You know, I know because I, I, I do it. And I'm, I'm just being honest. Like, oh, you shouldn't do it. I, you think about it. I, I'll come in here with heaviness in my heart, and I'm thinking, man, I've got to get up and preach, and I've got to get up and lead, and I've got to, I'm not going to walk to the pole and go, man, it's a lovely day. Or, you know, it's snowing outside, which it is. Don't let that get you down, or flurries, or whatever you want to call it. So we put it on our happy face and pretend like everything's okay, but you can only push so long for you realize I can't fake it anymore. My problem's not going away. I thought of us when I read this. Start in verse 40. It came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting on him. 
Hey, Jesus is coming back in the town. Let's gather around and see what he's got. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet. And he besought him that he would come into his house. For he only had one daughter. About 12 years of age. And she lay dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. Pressed on him. Pushed him. I'm going to divide the story in, in, in half. We're going to look at the first part, and we're going to just start with us. I'm going to start with hurting people. And you say, I'm not hurting people. I promise you, in all of our lives, there's something there. And I'm going to show you that there's two kinds of hurting people. And the Bible brings both of them out. And I thought it was really cool that the, in the middle of one story, how God compares both of them. And I know we're just reading this as a Bible event. But let, let me just connect with this first guy, which is the outward hurt. Okay, there's no question what this guy's hurt was. Jairus comes into this town. You can, you can imagine how, how he is so worked up. He's like, I've got one little girl. She is 12 years old, and I promise you, I will do whatever necessary to help my little girl. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. I, and and I'm, I'm not downplaying those that are not parents, but let me tell you, there's something that clicks in a parent's life that when they have a pain, you have a pain. I don't care what it is. And the other thing I want you to know, I don't care how old they get. When they have a pain, you have a pain. And sometimes the older they get, when you can't sit there and hold them in your arms and you have to get the phone call and you know they're up in the hospital, you know that they just lost their job, or they call crying because their wife or spouse left them, your heart is broken just like theirs is. I started thinking about, have you guys ever heard your kids cry before or something happened to your kids and you go in the ninja mode? You don't care. I've been in the store before. I've lost one of my kids. Now, don't judge me. You've all done it too. <laughs> you know, you get in that section and all of a sudden you, you realize that they're not there and it's, it five seconds goes by, but it feels like 10 minutes goes by. And you're, you're, you're freaking out and you're scared to death and you're doing all these things and all of a sudden you're not... Hey, Morgan, Morgan, you're just like, my girl is missing. I don't get her just screaming. You're running to the front. You're just saying, you look like an idiot. I don't care. For those couple minutes, I'd rather look like an idiot than I would take a chance of losing my baby. I was doing a wedding. Actually, Pastor Dave and I were doing a wedding together on this stage right here. So imagine this. My son Jordan is in his, I, I, it was, it was the first time to be in that role. So he was like a junior uh, groomsman or whatever, and he's standing here, no joke, or here, one of these exact spot right here. We've got it on a video. I almost played it for you. And so, Pastor, I, I get done with the opening of the wedding, and I come over here, and I'm sitting in one of these chairs. And, of course, the wall of guys is there. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm listening to it. And then all of a sudden, I hear this thug. I hear this blah, 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 blah. And then I hear this gaps across the whole audience that was there, and my brother Dave that was doing the wedding looked over at me and said, Tony, Jordan. And I didn't know what happened. My son locked his knees, okay, locked his knees, fainted, rolled down the steps and landed like this. And I went into, I, I'm telling you, James Bond had nothing on me, buddy. Everybody was there with Bibles open and, you know, sitting there, bride and groom. You know, I, I, I just sprung it. I, I ran over here, jumped off the stage, swooped them up, threw them over my shoulder. It was a wedding they'll never forget, okay? 
ran out that door off to the side, laid him down, was just like putting my hands on his feet, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. I, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we just play it off. It's like there was a man and he was going, Jesus, Jesus. No, it wasn't like that. He was desperate. He was real. He was hurting. It was this outward. He was screaming. He's yelling. He ran into the midst of the crowd. He says, the Bible gives a description that she was 12 years old. You know what that tells me? She's old enough to lay in that bed and said, Daddy, am I going to die? Daddy, can you help me? Daddy, I, I, I can't sleep. And Daddy, what's wrong? And Daddy, can you make it stop? And finally, he stood up and he said, Honey, I don't know. There's a man named Jesus and I heard that he can do anything. Honey, you've only got seconds, but I believe he can. I believe he can. I want you to get the real thrust of this message as I preach this today because sometimes we get so caught up in stories of the Bible that we forget that they were events in history. It wasn't just something we say to make us feel good. It was the reality of who Jesus was. You feel stuck because verse 42, and she would lay a dying. And he went to the people, thronged him. And then the story pauses. It's crazy. And right in the middle of this story, when the daughter is still dying and Jesus is still, and he throws himself out there, and this is that outward cry, another person, it's not me that I'm coming for, Lord, it's my daughter, it's my family, it's my spouse. You know what I'm talking about, that outward, it's not me, but it's somebody that I love. Then we have a drastic change in the story. Verse 43, a woman having an issue of blood, 12 years Spent all her living, neither could she be healed of any. That we go from an outward pain, an outward hurt, to an inward hurt. The Bible says she had an inward uh, issue. Uh, the, the problem with this issue of blood uh, goes into the contrast uh, of this was personal. Nobody knew about this. She, she went there not with anybody, not crying out, not screaming, not yelling. She came alone. She did not make a scene. He ran in front of Jesus. She's crawling behind Jesus. The Bible says his name. It doesn't even say it. just says a woman. You think about he came for somebody else. She was there for herself. You think about it. And I, I think God was just saying, let me, let me paint a picture that will identify to everybody here. Man, woman, love of somebody, she didn't even want attention. I was reading in another gospel, in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, and it said, A certain woman had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians. Meaning that she was put through it. Try this, do this, experiment with this. Nothing is working. And had spent all that she had. Okay, well, we're going to head home right now. She was broke. Now we need to sing the song, Amen Again. <laughs> like, we know what that's like. You say, what was she doing? I just want relief. I want, I want to be freed of this. I'll do anything. Many physicians, no one could help her. Blank stares, and I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. Took all her money. And then notice this in Mark 5.21. She says, for she said within herself. Now don't judge her. She came alone. Have you ever been doing things and there's a whole conversation going on in your brain the whole time? And sometimes you look really weird because you open your mouth and you start saying what's going through your brain. 
You're talking to yourself. You can imagine this woman, she's walking there, and the Bible literally says, and she says to herself, she's thinking to herself, why am I here? Wait, wait a minute. There's so many people. I, I, I don't need the help. Hey, there's people a lot worse off than I am. Why would he notice me? I'm not good enough. I'm unclean. During that day when somebody had an issue like that, they were, they were separated. They were unclean. You weren't to be part of everybody else. She had in the back of her mind, I shouldn't even be here. If they call me out, imagine the crowd screaming out, unclean, unclean, and Jesus turning around saying, why are you here, woman? Just saying, these were real people. We identify with one of these two stories, either it's an outward or an inward, but let me tell you, both of them had one thing in common, their lives were broken. They said, well, his life wasn't broken. I'll tell you, you go through that and you know brokenness beyond description. People say cliche statements like, and I'm I'm not downplaying this, so please don't get mad at me. And I I don't want any Christian sitting there saying, I can't believe he disrespected by saying this. But sometimes we say things like Jesus is the answer, but we don't explain how. Does that make sense? You put your arm around somebody and you just say, hey, I know you're going through a hard time. Let me tell you, Jesus is the answer. I'm going to tell you with all of my heart, he is the answer. And I'll scream it from the housetop. Jesus is the answer. But we need to explain how he is the answer. And too often, just a bumper sticker on your car that says Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the way, is not enough. Let me explain. We looked at the hurting people, but I want to go to the second part of the story, which is the healing Savior. Listen to this part. Notice how Jesus responds. Remember, there's a great crowd. People are everywhere. Problems, hurts, chaos. People, the Bible says that they thronged him, which literally means that it's like being dismissed from a stadium. Everybody's shoulder to shoulder. Everybody's on top of each other. And in faith, she falls to the ground and reaches out to touch him. You think about that. Luke eight forty four, and came behind him. You think about it. Just, just draw this out came behind him. Imagine the crowd pushing so hard that I don't know why it was a hem of his garment other than the fact that maybe she was shoved to the ground. Maybe she just was so embarrassed that she just gave up and she reached out with the last bit, the strength that she had to touch the hem of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, who touched me? Now take notice of the Savior's response Jesus was not confused. He was not taken back. Right here in this story, this is so important for us to get this. You can imagine the chaos, the craziness, the the, the crowd. And Jesus stops right there and he says, stop. Who touched me? And I know some of you are sitting there right there. What, what, What is the point of that? She already was healed. Her faith in reaching out to God healed her. But God stops in the middle of that and says, Hey, we're all about to learn something right now. And he turns to the crowd and he says, who touched me? You can imagine what it says in verse 45, when all denied Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee and sayest thou who touched me? This is Peter. Peter, uh, let me paraphrase this with Peter saying it. He says, Lord, I, I hate to tell you this, but there's a lot of people here that came to see you. There's a lot of people crying out your name. There's a lot of people chanting Jesus. There's a lot of people that like you. There's a lot of people that believe in you. Why are you asking that? Because Jesus turns and says, yeah, but somebody needs me more than the rest. 
he turns and he says in that passage in verse 46, and Jesus said, somebody have touched me. That word touch means to reach out and it even is conjunction with a relationship for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Yes, Peter, there are a lot of people, but there's somebody that reached out to me in faith believing that I can change them. You know what I realized? There's a lot of people that gather in a lot of religious crowds, but they don't reach out to God believing that he can make a difference in their life. Just showing up does not change your life. Just saying, oh, Jesus, does not change your life. You see, here's the Savior's desire. God desires for us to reach out in faith. If you notice what changed both of these situations, both of these stories, both of these people cried out to God in one way or the other. Jairus runs into the crowd and he cries out, God, Come to my house. You can make the difference. The woman lies down behind and reaches out to God and says nothing. But she believed in her heart that I know that you can make the difference. You see, the desire of God is not just us believing. It's reaching out to God. And so many people go through the motions and they show up and they want to be part of the crowd, but they're not part of the difference. It's amazing how many other things that we turn to. Even the people that will say that Jesus will make the difference. Even the people that go to church every week sit there and say, I'll tell you what, God will change your life. I'll tell you what, we go through all the things and we reach out to everything else in our life. She spent every dime she had trying to get help and relief and nothing works. They probably tried everything with that sick daughter and at the point of death, he runs to Jesus, but that was at the point of change. You see, it's not just the point that he got to of reaching out to God that it was his desire. But it's our relationship with him. And you say, now, now you're just adding to this. Can I show you guys? Look, read with me. I want you guys to read with me in Luke chapter 8, verse 47. And I'll close with this. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him. And how she was healed immediately. Almost apologetic. And you guys think about that. How many people come in the church and they have the idea or come into a religious group or whatever. And they're, they're just like, I, I, I shouldn't be here. And there's a lot more of him. And Jesus turned around and he notices her. and She's trembling on the ground. She's in fear of the situation. And in verse 48, and he said unto her, daughter. Did you guys notice that? She was just the woman with an issue before. And God turns around and says, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. You see, daughter is a title of endearment. It's a statement of relationship. It's a personal connection. You guys know that I'm a dad. And I love being a dad. I love being a dad above any other title that I hold. Being pastor and And I love being a dad. Jen and I were away for a couple of days this week and we sat down and I was, we were just talking about the kids and everything. I said, isn't it funny how we can be away from the kids for eight hours and before you're away, you're just like, I can't wait to get away. And then when you're away, you're like, I can't wait to get back and see the kids. And we're sitting there and I'm talking. I said, Jen, do you know how blessed we are to have what we have? Do you know how blessed we are to be a dad, for me to be a dad and for us to have that I love my kids, 
I work hard to pay the bills for my family, but let me tell you, I don't want to be looked at as a paycheck. I sacrifice to make sure that my kids are fed, but I don't want to be looked at as a meal ticket. I go out of my way to fix things around the house and to care for their needs, but I don't want to be looked at as a servant. I get my kids out of trouble. I pick them up when they need me. I carry them. I buy them things. But I don't want to be a servant to my kids. See, the thing that I do and the motive of why I do what I do, it's not that I don't care about them in other ways. It's simply that I want them to acknowledge the love that I have for me. and I want them to love me in return. See, the thing that a lot of people don't understand is they're crying out to God for what you can get out of God rather than understanding that God wants a relationship with you. He turns to her and her problem and he looks down at her and calls her daughter. Referencing, I want it more than just being you in the crowd. I care about your need as an individual and I know what you're going through. Let me ask you this question. How do you reach out to God? You can imagine in the middle of this story, in verse 49, they're crying out, Jairus, Jairus! While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Can, can we just make a statement right now? You are never troubling the master. If anything, Jesus turns and he makes this point of telling them in that spot, saying, You are not bugging me. It wasn't just a matter of God could have turned and said, hey, your daughter is healed. Now listen to this as we close this out. Jesus easily could have said, go thy way, your daughter is healed. But Jesus didn't do that. That God turned around and said, oh, I'm going to go with you to your house. He got there and on the outside of them, they were scorning. The Bible says that they, they were like making fun of it and said, your daughter's dead. What are you going to do? Put a bandaid on it. What are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. Jesus walked in. A weeping mother, you can imagine Jesus stopping, going up to the dad, stopping, going up to the daughter. He didn't have to do that, but let me tell you, every bit of this was a picture to us. God said, I, Jesus said, I'd like to step into your mess. I want to step into your problem. I want to go with you to where it hurts. I want to know the people that are affected. I want to meet the ones that are hurting. I want them to know, mom, dad, daughter, you are not alone. 